Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 426 of the Material Podcast. Can you believe it? Can you even stand it? I'm Andy Anatkin. With us is Florence Ion. Flo, how are you doing? Oh my God. Hi. Hi. How are you? (laughs) I am just, I'm just full of, I'm I'm just, I was going to say full of emotion, but like, honestly, I'm just really hot. (laughs) Everybody's in a freaking heat dome in the northern part of the earth right now <laughs> yeah i'm trying to see i'm trying to be grateful for hey look you know it's because oftentimes in in august it's it's just like 10 degrees too cold to go to the beach but now it's still in the 80s you could still like go and enjoy going to the beach and i'm like i'm actually don't want to have to walk like 15 minutes in really hot and humid weather to, and i will enjoy being at the beach but then i don't want to say hey Hey, Captain Entitlement, don't you're complaining that you live like in this beautiful, like little village that you can go to a town beach anytime you want. And you're complaining that you have to actually walk to get there because it's within walking distance. So I'm happy, 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 happy. Okay, so this is normally the time of the podcast where we just like talk. So I'm going to go ahead and (laughs) be selfish and make this about me Um, and say (laughs) and say that. Um, first of all, Andy, I do plan someday in our future where I will be vacationing with my child near your quaint New England beach town. Lovely. I'm thinking a lot about it. And the reason is because I realized, because I'm getting very like excited, right? I'm going to New York in a couple of days, but I'm going like purely for social. I'm, you know, I'm not staying in the city. Like <laughs> this is a total New York moment. And I realized that... I feel most at balance when I get to touch the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> like periodically. It's like very important for me to be in both of them. Um, Pacific Ocean, it's usually only my toe because the Pacific Ocean is notoriously cold oh, got it. Okay. up here where I live uh, versus the Atlantic Ocean. So it's nice and warm for me in the summer. It's. It it depends, like and and like little like literally. Uh, I've never I, touched it where you live. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I actually don't know what it's like where you live. It, see, the the thing is, like, it's nice. The our town beach is like a kind of like a little cove, and so it is actually like quite warm. By as like New England beaches, because there's no wind and yeah, and and, and, and also like it the 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 current of the ocean is literally coming from the south, where and it's such a pronounced thing in New England where like if you go to Cape Cod, if you go to like Dennis, which is like the north shore of Cape Cod, the water is usually very very cold. If you go to South Dennis which is the other side of Cape Cod, it is much, much warmer and much more pleasant going into the water. I, as a kid, like the twice a year, like the, the, the town, like recreation department, summer recreation department used to like get the school buses together and we would go to Duxbury beach or Nantasket beach. And those places were freaking cold and you'd love it because it's the beach. And that's how you grew up like in True. new England. Cause we don't, we don't go to the Caribbean, but it's like the first time that I was introduced to the concept of oceans can be warm and inviting, or at least like cooling and inviting as opposed to <laughs> it's 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 such a it's such a, a dramatic memory of like it, you know, eventually you get you get into the water and you get submerged and it's fine but oh my god the faith that involves like okay i'm going to st- oh my god this is cold 
okay, okay, but that's okay. We're going to walk in up to our knees. Oh my God, it's cold. Like now we're going to sort of like splash water to our thighs. And then, and then you get, then you get to like the, the, the crotch ecological area and the torso. Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's nothing to do at this point, but simply splash forward and get completely wet and just scream like a banshee. And then it'll be done. Whereas in the Artan beach, it really is like, ah, isn't this nice? Oh, this is nice. Great. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. It's so hard to find a good like spot like that when you're trying to go into a natural body of water. Um, but I just, I guess I just wanted to officially declare this my Atlantic Ocean era. That's <laughs> what I'm going to be pursuing. Um, I know it's a little late in the summer to be doing it, but we we ha- we have we have a lovely ocean and and actually a, a lovely beach. Like a little little bit of town news, there was a, a bit of there was a there was a rhubarb that it, that exploded into a Donnybrook at the town beach like last week, because like recently like within within the this. within the past year, like ev- everywhere that has a coastline in the United States, there is fights between property owners. And people who say, "Well, you don't own the ocean. We're not. Uh, we're not trying to get onto your lawn. But if you're saying that you own like the place where like the ocean comes into the shore, we're telling you that you just don't." Uh, and so recently, they uh, they they adjusted the laws basically to say that like, no, it's not not just like the shoreline, but let's just say let's call it like the wherever the high wider wherever the high tide mark is of the water plus 10 feet that is like public access doesn't matter like if you if you can own you we're not we're not denying that you own like that piece of property however you cannot deny people the ability to use whatever the high water mark is plus 10 feet that's perfectly fine and so apparently there's there was a it was a hot day and the, the town beach was really full and a and a small small nuclear family decided to set up again Someone who was very well informed. I'm not going to leap to the conclusion that he was trying to start a fight, but some, sometimes I know myself that it's very, very satisfying when you know exactly what the law is and exactly what your rights are, and mm. you're trying and you're trying not to be a jerk about it. But it's like, <laughs> but you know that if someone if someone says, "Hey, you can't walk here," so well, I'm sorry, but the but the 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 Wampanoag Compact of 1912 says that this is a hunting access road that it does wow. cross your property but the wow. fact the fact that you knew this when you bought the property so although I I certainly can't like start to you know do things like in your backyard this actual path that is you that you've that the public simply has access to I'm allowed to cross here ha <laughs> uh, so apparently he knew he knew what the what the law was okay well rather than fight people for like the rest of the beach I'm going to so I'm going to set my chair, my, my two chairs and my beach umbrella and my, me and my spouse and my child are going to play within 10 feet of a high water mark. And the property owner came out. Of course, of course, of course. And he was all, excuse me, sir, uh, but the recent law passed, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the, the rest of the news story involves uh, throwing the throwing the chairs into the ocean uh, the beach umbrella being snapped in half. <laughs> the, the, the being uh, and 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 the property owner being arrested. So, <laughs> so <sighs> I, I, so maybe not not quite a Donnybrook, but it was definitely definitely high level of rhubarb. There was no like physical contact between the two, but once you start picking up forcibly picking up chairs and throwing them into the ocean and and snapping a beach, classy people don't break 
beach umbrellas. There's something we understand the importance of a really good beach umbrella, something that is lightweight enough that you can ca- and folds up and co- compact enough that you can easily get out of the car and walk like the hundred yards or however it takes to, to get to your beach spot, but still big and sturdy enough to keep the sun off of you. If you break, if you finally find one like that, that's good. And someone breaks it. That, that's just, that's just, that's just poor form, sir. I have to ask you, what is a rhubarb? Uh, a rhubarb is a heated discussion. Oh, guess what? Google can help me with that one. Uh, yes. Although it was actually Dr. Carlos. A, 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 a Donnybrook would be like it actually leads to fisticuffs, like some, some sort of physical altercation. <sighs> It's it's what polite. It's I'm re, sorry, re, I didn't understand that. Part of that is because immigrant family. The other part is <laughs> the other is West Coast. You know, I just well, sometimes I'll, there well, are things that also also part of the part of the the fault uh, lies with me because I was trying to be a fancy boy there. And oh, I, I know. I, you I love. I, I love. I've, I love the word Donnybrook. I love the word rhubarb. I, I know. I they're... know. You've used it before, <laughs> um, but the. The context of which you used rhubarb was very new for me because I only know it. I only learned that it was a vegetable, a vegetable, a fruit. I only learned it was a vegetable like within the last. It's it's, it's like a a kind of celery that you can actually bake into pies because it's because it's sweet and it's red. There's a lot of American culture I've only adopted in the last 10 years. So again, so and that includes the highbrow culture. Like, I just don't. I don't know every. <laughs> I I am riffraff who who co-ops the culture of the hoi polloi. Actually, no, I'm hoi, I'm hoi polloi, the hi hats, whatever. Uh, let's get let's get on with the show. We we have a really yes. uh, three cool three cool stories this week. Uh, so Google, we we touched upon this when it was just a rumor, but now Google has actually made an announcement that they are partnering with. Or however you want to look at it, sucking up to the recording industry uh, on artificial intelligence tools, so that they can continue to exploit uh, both artificial intelligence and their users without getting the recording industry honking down their snorkel about abuse of their uh, intellectual property. Uh, we also have that uh, you know that that Sato Voce VR. AR project that Google was developing with Samsung. Mm, I mean, they sort of mm, said under their mm. breath working on something with Samsung. Hey, good news. We have a project name. We have lots of details about it. And the bad news is that it's mostly news about how totally messed up and rudderless and fail, fail pie the whole project is. Um, and not a rhubarb pie. Not a not a rhubarb pie. Actually, no, I don't think I've ever had a rhubarb pie. I should try it. Strawberry rhubarb, right? Yeah, I think so. Good. But that it's it's very telling when you want to com- when you can't when the rhubarb can't stand on its own. It's very rare that you mix flavors in a pie. Like I, I have had, I have occasionally baked like uh, an apple pie and added strawberries to it. That was optional because apple pies are great, yeah, strawberry yeah. pies are great. I like the, the 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 balance between. But if it's like, hey, rhubarb pie, and what else are you adding to the rhubarbs? Because you certainly don't want to bite into just rhubarb. That's that's suspicious. Um, and uh, and the last story is that. Uh, it will not surprise you that YouTube has been targeting ads to kids. Uh, if you don't uh, remember, I was very upset about that. Yeah, we were talking about it today because I sent it to Andy. Yeah, and uh, you, actually, and you will be surprised if you remember that in 2019, uh, they they received and they they agreed to an injunction from the uh, the FTC. And the New York State Attorney's General Office and paid them 150, 40 million dollars, promising that they totally would not be doing that. 
okay. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a way to go. Uh, so we'll be talking about all that stuff right after this break. So yeah, a, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I think I think it was maybe even just last week, uh, the Financial Times had a piece saying that, gee, Google seems to be talking with Universal Music about licensing some of their content, uh, basically a, a plan so that if people wanted to use like uh, AI to like deep fake songs and voices that could be under a license thing, the FT, the, F, the Financial Times knew that they are having these discussions, but were unsure about what the actual point is. But now we know what the actual point is, and I don't know how to feel about this. So uh, now it's it's actually a, a out in the open blog post that Google had on Monday uh, with a uh, with a kind of like a co-blog post from Universal Music. Basically, they have uh, they're announcing that they intend to pursue development of lots of AI tools that affect music and affect the intellectual property of musicians. Uh, but they intend to do that with uh, a coalition between themselves and the actual uh you know, music rights holders. What they're announcing is that they have a YouTube. It's all under the auspices of YouTube because YouTube is music music. So they're saying that they've they're they, they've got this new team bureau project, whatever called the Music AI Incubator. And the basic idea is that they don't know for sure exactly how their artificial intelligence work is going to involve the use of music, but they want to make sure that as they develop these tools, they're developing it hand in hand with universal music and other rights holders so that they're part of the process, they're part of the discussion. And basically they don't wind up developing an AI tool that they can't actually, <laughs> they can't actually market or, or monetize because the music industry is saying, yeah, that come that we have, the, we have the following list of objections to it. So <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's weird. Uh, so the the title of the blog post is AI is here and we will embrace it. Res- our principles for partnering with the music industry on AI technology. It's a, it's, it's one of those frustrating blog posts that Google has that often makes, which is not so much, Hey, here's something, here's the URL or here's when you can buy it. Here's when you can install it. It's more like, Hey, here's what we plan to do. We will have more to talk about in the future. Uh, and I literally there, t- the, the whole blog post is, uh, here is a, we're, we're going to embrace AI together, uh, responsibly with our music partners. And it's going to reflect three different, three common principles here. And here's what the principles are. Uh, and the, uh, it's, it, and it's simple stuff, basically that, uh, AI is here. We will work, embrace it responsibly together with our partners. Number two, AI is ushering in a new age of creative expression, but it must include appropriate protections and unlock opportunities for music partners who decide to participate. Principle three, we will have the, 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 the trust and safety organizations and content policies we have already on YouTube and YouTube music will also apply to what we do in AI. So that's pretty broad. Basically, they're assuring the assuring the public and also ensuring the music industry that please don't do please don't be as as uh, interventionalist as you were back in the '90s when digital music started to be a thing, and you did everything you possibly could to stop digital music from being a thing because you were certain that it was going to cause the corrosion and the destruction of the entire music industry and its whole profitability model. Um, the the only interesting details were. Um, Actually, it's simultaneously details and lack of details. They are working with, they, they, they announced this kind of in partnership with Universal Music. And they mentioned that here are a bunch of art, Universal Music artists that were going to, that are going to be participating in the music AI incubator. Uh, they specified Roseanne Cash, the estate of Frank Sinatra, 
uh, Don was the composer and producer. And then there were like a half a dozen names that I didn't recognize, not because they're not famous, but because I'm Gen X. I'm sure they're pure like Tabasco on the, on the, on the level of a Roseanne Cash or Frank Sinatra. Uh, I'm quoting the post here working together. We will better understand how these technologies can be most valuable for artists and fans, how they can enhance creativity and where we can seek to solve critical issues for the future. So no news on like, Hey, we're, we're developing like AI deep fake stuff so that uh, if someone wants to duet with Frank Sinatra, the estate could write nothing like that. It's just basically here are we are going to be there's going to be this office with the with the name Music AI Incubator like written on the door. There are going to be a whole bunch of people who have Music AI Incubator on their LinkedIn's who work for Google. <laughs> these people are going to be working with these like eight specified like creator uh, you know musicians and whatever we do we. They want to work with us for this. So I don't know what they're really talking about here, but they're doing something. They just aren't ready to tell us what they are. I'm so confused. So does Roseanne Cash know about all the stuff with her dad's voice? And, you know, is she getting residuals from this? You know, I didn't even think about that. Uh, As a result? Yeah. Because I, I th- it's well, Roseanne Cash is is. I got the impression from the blog post in the context that it wasn't Roseanne Cash as somebody who has a voice in the estate of Johnny Cash. It was more like her own rights as a musician. So I don't know if that has oh. anything. So I don't know if that has anything. Again, it, you're right. It, it was very, very vague. So it's not like it, it wasn't talking about anything specific. I was really anticipating that they would have some examples of, well, why do you need the estate of Frank Sinatra or Don was to work with you? on the inside this music AI incubator, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, the, the only things that are kind of hinted at are that like, uh, uh, famously YouTube has a whole bunch of, uh, of, uh, content ID systems and mm-hmm. they say, Oh, well, uh, so part of this mentions that, Oh yeah, we're going to be using AI to enhance that as well. So basically whatever they're doing to enforce copyright on YouTube and in YouTube music, they're going to have, the music AI incubator will have AI tools that are going to enhance it that way. Uh, so God help us. I mean, we could, it would be, it would be nice to be optimistic and say, Oh, well, that means that the next time that some random person tries to claim that a band that introduced the, who wrote and published this piece of music has actually stolen it from them, this random person, YouTube is not going to simply rubber stamp this and make it impossible for that band to monetize their own music. The AI is going to stop that from happening. I mean, I don't think that, there's any optimism that's that's going to be an improvement i am just very confused about all of this like what the point of it is besides doing cool stuff um and it's just a very interesting thing for google to be going all in on as we will talk about a little bit later uh of all the things that it could be going in on and it just (laughs) always seems like it picks these really niche things to be the supposed like you know trailblazers of (laughs) because then they can say that they were first to something and that's kind of what it feels like from this situation it feels like there's something here where they just want to be the first ones that did it and figured it out and but at the same time like who's asking for this yeah i'm not asking for this I thought it was cool when you could download an app and could like, you know, make a song in the style of yeah. like, that's cool. I'm fine with that. And, you know, nothing can be spoofed, really. But 
I just don't understand the point of all this because at the end of the day, like this is, this is to contribute to something that has nothing to do with any of us. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels like it's part of the interface between like YouTube mm-hmm. and the industry. And there's, there are plenty of reasons for Google and YouTube to want to nip that stuff in the bud because already we're seeing a lot of really tense discussions. Like there's uh, New York times is having conversation, really testy conversations with open AI saying that, Hey, look, you trained your AI on our content. So therefore like we didn't license that content to you for that mm-hmm. kind of use. How much do you, let, let's sit down and figure out how much you owe us. Unless, of course, you want to rebuild uh, ChatGPT from the ground up using nothing but content that you've appropriately licensed and or stuff that's already in the public domain. And maybe they're just trying to get even before even before they know what they're going to be doing with artificial intelligence, they want to be starting off making sure that they're uh, they're not going to have these kind of rhubarbs that turn into Donnybrooks only in like in in in, in courtrooms and stuff the, the the only thing that was kind of tricky was they they did mention at the very very end like oh we're gonna have more uh, they they, they kind of hinted at i don't even think this is a, a quote but they did talk about new monet new monetization opportunities and that could conceivably include hey if someone j- just like uh just like they uh youtube actually funnels about I think the number is like $2 billion a year to the rec- to the recording industry because if I want to att- if I as a YouTuber want to attach copyrighted music to a video I can certainly do that but the money from that video will be sent will be go to the the people who created that music or have the rights to that music so maybe they are talking they are having conversations about ways of hey if you're if 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 uh, if Frank Sinatra's estate wants to have uh, a, a deep fake AI, an official oh, Frank Sinatra deep fake AI, and we want to make that available to YouTube creators so that they can sing into a microphone and it will come out not only uh, auto tuned but also sounding like Sinatra. This the the Sinatra the Sinatra estate can either approve or disapprove that and or like get money from that maybe because that's that's something that the Financial Times piece last week the week before was talking about. I do think it's very interesting how in this very situation, there is a little upside to the capitalization of all this, yeah. which is that you cannot make money off of my likeness without my consent because it is my business right in the system that we are in yeah. to sell myself. <laughs> <laughs> so give me money. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so weird. This is also, this is very weird. And like, even though we talk about it or even though we've fantasized about it through like (laughs) science fiction, when it's very real, it's actually very bureaucratic. Yeah. It's like, it's just people trying to figure out like, where does the money go now that we figured out that we want to make some money off of this, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those things that makes like these inflection points in technology so interesting that um, if I wanted to, like, uh, my favorite author growing up was Douglas Adams, you know, the writer of The mm-hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And uh, I've come to learn that, oh, well, he was a big, when he, when, he, when he was growing up, he was a huge fan of P.G. Woodhouse. And that's very, very clear because his way of writing, hum- writing uh, humorous, uh, humorous uh, novels, it has a lot of, inf- you can see a lot of the influence of P.G. Woodhouse there. And let's say, and historically, up until let's say uh, like August of last year, hmm. the idea of the Peachy Woodhouse estate coming after an author like that, saying, 
well, clearly you benefited from ingesting uh, his novels into your head and using that to train your head into how to write a funny short novel. How And now we're going to have to figure out how much you owe the P.G. Woodhouse estate for doing that. For 100, 200, 300 years, that was ridiculous because, like, how do you quantify that? And also, how do you how do you even prove that this there was a direct influence or not? Up until the point where you start actually creating a novel about an, uh, a layabout trust fund 20-something-year-old with a manservant who solves problems for him. Like, at that point, oh, okay, you clearly you're stealing our intellectual property, some things that we've copyrighted. Now, though, you can actually say, like, there are there, there can be AI that says, well, look, I can prove that here, here is the data set that in your research paper you ingested to train this AI, and it includes all 103 of P.G. Woodhouse's books. So, therefore in a very material and provable way, yes, this work did contribute to your AI's ability to generate humorous text and specifically the ability to say, please rewrite this, the short story in the style of PG Woodhouse. So now let's sit down and, and decide how much you owe us from that. And not that I'm saying that people, that this is necessarily what, what should happen or that any money should be owed, but now it is actually a relevant question to ask. And yes. And so and so that's why it's it's not surprising that Google is saying that whatever we do with AI, we're going to include the music industry in on this. We're not going to have them caught on. A, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I am like sort of extrapolating from this blog post, but it sounds as though they're saying that like if if people if uh, uh, if people continue to use audio deep fakes because just to be funny or because hey i've got this i wrote the song but i want biz i want biz Markey to like be the uh, be the vocalist yeah. on this like we are assuring the music industry that there's going we are going to have technology that can spot that and flag that just as uh just as uh, we would flag like an actual copyrighted biz Markey song as hey look mm-hmm. to you can do this but you're gonna have to kick back some money to biz Markey's estate in order to do this so We'll see how this we'll, we'll see how this how this flows out, but it's clear that they're sending a message not to consumers with this blog post, but again, telegraphing to the industry that we are <laughs> please, please don't please don't like you know it, it's it, please don't try to do to us what like Sony tried to do with like all music at the start of the digital age, which is we're going to put we're, we're going to we're gonna actually infest all of our CDs with malware that gets installed on any PC that ex- that gets exposed oh, to the I CD. We're going to, yeah. if, if you buy a Sony digital music player, it's going to look for all the music on your hard drive and turn it into a DRM Sony locked up format. Even oh if it's just God, music that, that you so yourself. Angry. Oh God. The year that I got that Sony MP3 player and I had to convert everything. Yeah. I, it just made no sense to me. Made no sense. And it's, and it's, and it points out that, it's it's in the industry's best interest to find a way to like allow people to do what they're clearly going to do anyway, because mm-hmm. I honestly think that nothing drove more people to LimeWire or to Napster than, okay, so I have the option of either essentially throwing myself into jail <laughs> and limiting myself to this these incredibly burdensome limitations that Sony's trying to put on me. I mean it was it remember it was so bad that like wow this is an MP3 that I actually own that the, the and the the law says that because a CD is unlocked it's not encrypted or anything I am legally allowed to copy this from one format to another but 
if I'm using, if I'm trying to put it on a Sony player, it will make sure that if it's been, if this MP3 has been installed on the player, I can't play it on my PC until I've checked it back into the library. Correct. Or I'm thinking, or I could simply download all this stuff illegally so that I don't have to deal with, you know, or and and use and and use this brand new uh, digital river music player that will simply play MP3s mm, as they are. Yep. Yep. Or a little creative, <laughs> the creative yep. music players. You literally just dragged and dropped. Yeah. And your music was on there. <sighs> we're gonna go take another break, and after that, we're gonna talk about the rampaging parade of success that is Google's. Intrusion into VR slash AR. And I, I know I already tipped it off that it's nothing like that, but we can have, we can be happy and pretend for the next like 20 or 30 seconds, mm-hmm. can't we? I know that we give Google, you know, we give Google a lot of crap for not having clear strategies and abandoning things, but you know what? <laughs> it's completely earned. And we found out another example <laughs> of this. <laughs> Thanks to Business Insider, uh, who gave us a hell of an update on Google's progress and creating virtual reality or augmented reality or any kind of thing you put on your face that puts dancing elves that aren't in your line of sight into your line of sight. And yeah, this this seriously isn't funny because this is just super, super depressing. So uh business <laughs> it, it really it really is the business insider <laughs> talked to like seven current and former uh googlers who are working on vr and ar and it's uh, got their stories really in detail and it's really a depressingly familiar story of lack of progress shuffles and leadership strategies that are launched but then aborted uh lack of leadership disintegrating project team morale all that sort of stuff uh, so let's start off with, remember those really, really cool spectacles that Google showed off at Google I.O. last year where, hey, wow, they're they're very, very, they're, they're, they're spectacles that look not different from the glasses that I use for distance every time. And they were providing live Google Translate to, mm-hmm. uh, to, with a conversation that people were having. Wow, that looks nice. And even like compelling, especially when you take a look at uh, at Meta's Quest VR and uh, Apple's uh, Vision Pro, like, okay, instead of this big st- big canned ham strapped to the front of my face that cuts off all of my access to the actual outside world around me. I can have this lightweight pair of eyeglasses that simply when appropriate, give me extra information. That sounds awesome. Yes. But also they were interesting because Google had basically done the, and one more thing with it at Google IO. I believe it was the last in person Google I.O. No, it was the last virtual Google I.O. that we had. Yeah. Uh, Yes. And so I was was even looking for it this year. They didn't even mention it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this was Project Iris, it had a name. Um, and they were, it seemed as though that Google had at, at that time a strategy that was based around, again, the idea of, Let's have hardware that might be limited in power compared to what Meta is doing, but it'll be lightweight and obtrusive and very, very possible to actually build and actually sell and for people to actually wear it. Uh, toward that end, Google acquired two 
different, really advanced, uh, really hardware companies that were really, really far along in their own development of this stuff, uh, both for the glasses design, which was an existing product that uh, one of these mm-hmm. companies owned, and for micro LED display, te- display technology, which was going to be required to improve and evolve the product. They spent uh, hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring these two, co- two companies. They also had hired away a lot of really serious talent, mm-hmm. including uh, Magic Leap's former chief technology officer. Um, the information that Business Insider has about it was that it, these eyeglasses, Project Iris, r- would have run simple but key Google apps like Google Maps and Google Lens, um, but they could not make fundamental decisions about what this product should be. They mentioned that like surprise surprise yeah exactly like should the should the display be color or should it be monochrome uh should they be clear eyeglasses or should they be sunglasses and they kept going back and forth and back and forth meanwhile they're developing custom google silicon to run on these things as you imagined that it was going to have to um and the report blames leadership's inability to just simply choose a strategy choose a goal and then commit to it um also, uh, Business Insider sources were saying that company-wide layoffs that were quite a fam- quite famous for last year and an excess of management, quote, decimated the augmented reality team that was working on this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we have quote from, yep, a quote from one of them, quote, every six months there was a major pivot in the program, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote, they would look at it and say, we want a slightly different product, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, another insider said, described it the, their, their process as, as their, their dabbling. Uh, quote, I don't think this is a space where you can lead the industry if your commitment level is dabbling. Uh, so now Project Iris is <laughs> no more. Uh, they are uh, they're sh- kind of shopping it around and trying to find a hardware partner who's interested in building hardware around it. So Project Iris, remember that. That's one product that they were working on that doesn't seem to be moving moving forward anymore um now we mentioned that again there was sort of a in the back of their voice at a at their ai event in october of last year the year before they mentioned oh by the way we're working on an ai project with samsung anyway uh we'll have more we'll have more to talk about that in the future so according to business insider this is called muhan uh and it has its own pr- problems uh, largely because the insiders are saying that the partnership between Google and Samsung is a really, really bad partnership. It's there. The two companies are just not working together. Case in point, the reason why Iris is not moving forward. Uh, Samsung basically demanded that, Hey, look, we don't want anybody, uh, anybody who's inside Google, who's working on a competing augmented reality project to uh, have any access to any information about project Muhan or the hardware that we're doing. You can't have anybody privy to what Google is doing with Samsung. And so they found that it was impossible to work on project Iris without somehow getting Samsung all honked off. Um, the insiders were also saying that Samsung is calling the shots on features and hardware instead of the software team and the CPU team working all together. So like they, as a result, Iris got killed off, including all this custom Google Silicon that they'd already designed for it. And all that money and all that development is just gone. Oh, we're going to blame Samsung for this. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I'm just amazed that they couldn't find another solution for this. It see, Iris seemed like a product that I could have actually been interested in. Why did they even tease it? If it, if like, this is what really upsets me about Google is that they will constantly tease these things that very clearly would have a role in society and yep. then they do not produce. So guess what? That is not going to, you know, make people feel confident about your product, especially down to your mobile product that you actually sell. Um, is the era of Fang over? Is that what this 
is that what this all means? Because yeah. it's feeling like it's it's giving it's giving trying not to go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and the the sad thing is they they really it really does paint the picture of a, a management team that's complete. And I'm I'm not talking about just the AR team. I'm talking about the management the the C suite yeah. team that is just simply rudderless. It's not as though like they were they did what Microsoft used to do before CES, which is hey we have nothing to show off. Uh, we, 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 the, the, the CEO needs something cool, a piece of hardware to show off. What do we got in a desk drawer somewhere that can at least be working along well enough for a 10 minute demo. And doesn't matter if they have any intentions of releasing it or not. The whole point is just to show, Hey, look, we're Microsoft. We're developing cool stuff. This was an actual real thing that they were actually developing, that they had spent hundreds of millions of dollars, at least in just corporate investment to, to acquire. And it's just, after that, it just all simply fell apart because they just, again, no commitment, uh, no infrastructure, no support. They allowed ex- other projects to to kill it off. Um, well, another insider was saying that when uh, that Apple's announcement of uh, Vision Pro also kind of like cut the legs under a lot of their AR development, uh, basically saying that like when Apple just in general, when Apple makes a big announcement, it sends ripples of doubt and fear and uncertainty among like Google ex- executives and bad things happen because they will think, oh, well, we're not because they never had any real belief in what they were doing anyway. It makes them think that, oh, this is what we're going to have to be competing with, as opposed to this is this is we're not going to be competing with this. We're just simply going to be participating in a large product category alongside it. Um, so Iris is now Project Betty, by the way. Um, and the and Project Betty involves okay. turning turning all this research into micro xr software and trying to pitch it to hardware makers uh they're saying the according to their data 2025 at the earliest is when they might see hardware that's based on project betty slash iris and the partner hardware partner might even be samsung uh meanwhile get so so that's that's so with mua that's two different ar vr projects that are somehow active or working Meanwhile, the the company, the micro display company that Google bought for for Iris, they've been split. They they haven't quit. They haven't they haven't uh, been disbanded. They've split off, and they're continuing to develop a brand new like Iris like system that has lots of AI built into it. And the leader of that team says that they could have something in three or four years, whatever. But the, here's the what's astonishing in this report like it's it's like a skunk works project like they're walled off from all of these other two efforts so they're gonna have to like if for this project for their project to move forward they're gonna have to continue to fight for resources for money for budgeting with two other ar vr projects like in the in in the in the the queue at the same time i mean overall to your takeaway is that Google is hoping that the Android model is going to pay off again, where, no, we're not going to make hardware. We're going to make the operating system. We're going to make a powerful operating system that a hard, an interested hardware manufacturer can then oh, adapt I into their own hardware. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, meanwhile, both Meta and Apple are both spending tens of billions of dollars building hardware that works with a special hardware that works with a special operating system that works with special apps that has a special development environment all designed to work together as a unit and what are the chances that with google spending what seems to be like less than billions of dollars on this and not only that but splitting their attention and their resources in three what are the chances that anybody's want to, is going to want to get on board with this? It's like, like I said, it's depressing. It is very depressing, and it's not, it's not going to help its role 
in Silicon Valley with it to sort of take take things with this kind of caution. Um, and it's really sad too, because I thought Google was really going to try and do something with VR and AR. Like they, they had all these experiments. They made it seem like it was a part of their ethos. Yeah. But then Apple comes in, launches, effectively launches something, even though it's not available yet. And well, I shouldn't say that. I take that back. They didn't launch anything. They just showed something. Right. They just showed something at an event. Um, but still, it's more than it's more than what Google has at this point. And and I think it also just goes to show how maybe like poorly managed things are, which is Absolutely. technically a Sundar Pichai problem because this is under his leadership. Yeah. And my child is yelling a lot. <laughs> She's as upset as, she as we are. my thought. Go ahead. I'll, she interrupted my thoughts. So. Sorry, um, but yeah, no. no but, but she uh, should say sorry. But I should, yeah. But I mean, you 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 really hit the nail on the head. Like, what bothers me is not that. Oh well, gosh, Google might not have an augmented reality, virtual reality product. I don't even think that. I'm not even sure that Apple has a successful VR AR product, or that they Apple no. needs even Apple needs to have a successful VR AR product. What concerns yeah. me is like it's it's like when uh, we don't we don't judge at the supermarket. We don't. We shouldn't. We try not to. We try to be mm -hmm. the person who doesn't judge. But when you see like a kid who like is like their 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 faces are unwashed and their clothes are kind of ripped and don't look really good and like they don't look like they're well supervised, like you hope that all it is is that okay the lawn they're they're a little bit behind on the laundry. Or the kid got away from the parents, like at the playground, they got all like dirty and messed up. The problem that you see is that this kid is wearing a dirty and ripped and messed up like t-shirt. What you worry about is maybe this is a sign that they live in a house where the parents are not responsible. They are not paying attention. They are not doing their jobs. They're not making sure that the kid has clean clothes. They are not, it's. It's really, really, really quite sad. Um, I'm just, I, I'm just hoping that this isn't a sign that everything that Google does now is tainted and cursed with the with the with the with the hand of of, of Cain, uh, something like that. Um, we're gonna take another break and then we're gonna come back and talk about how YouTube maybe is spying on children when they have agreed with the government they shouldn't. Back after this. Well, we're going to wind up with uh, the happy news about kid children, wonderfully apple-faced, cleanly scrubbed, wonderful summer vacation children and how Google and YouTube are I hope are she's cleanly abusing. scrubbed. We'll see. We'll, <laughs> we'll see if she... We'll find out. Uh, and if they, if they aren't, YouTube's tracking them. We can find that out. This is a this is the information we get uh, from a, a little we put bit it that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So a little bit of background. In 2019, Google got into huge trouble because, uh, well, they were tracking children <laughs> while these children were using Google and YouTube services and targeting mm -hmm. with ads. And that's this is in violation of the COPA rule. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they got sued by the FTC in New York State, and they finally agreed to pay a $170 million settlement. 
uh, and obey a long set of conditions, ensuring that they they would obey the COPA Act, be transparent about the use of trackers. If they were tracking children in any way, this would be both transparent and they would be getting specific parental consent before doing that. Uh, YouTube's then CEO promised uh, that uh, in a, their own blog post, hey, we will, we're going to moving forward, we're going to treat all YouTube kids content as though it was being watched by a child, regardless of the age of the user. We're going to limit the use of trackers to just what's required to operate that service and we're going to cease serving personalized ads on that content entirely huzzah um and they are still they are still under that uh, that arbitration agreement with the ftc and new york state uh but okay there's a company called adalytics this is a platform that uh helps advertisers who are using digital ads find out exactly what their digital ads are doing on their behalf because ad platforms are not necessarily completely tracking. forthcoming. Yeah, exactly. Well, at least there it's it's the is the company you hire to make sure that hey, we pay to have this ad placed before this this group of people did mm-hmm. it actually be placed before you know, all that all that kind of stuff. So they were their own analysts were doing a whole bunch of reports and they found out a whole bunch of bad stuff and they posted a report uh, basically saying that YouTube is doing exactly the opposite of everything that they are legally obligated to do. Their company, the company's report re- presents evidence uh, that YouTube has been mistargeting ads uh, and uh, uh, that uh, mistargeting ads and that uh, ads that are intended for adults that, you know, the advertisers said, Hey, I want this to be put in front of adults. These are adult financial services and adult, you know, antiperspirants whatever uh, but there the algorithm was actually putting them in front of uh, of actual children's ads um they're they also discovered that youtube appears to be setting or transmitting advertising cookies and identifier identifiers on the devices of uh, viewers who are watching all that made for kids videos at least as of july of 2023 and this is not like oh Uh, These are ads that have specifically been flagged by YouTube and the creators as this is intended for kids. So no excuses there Uh, that uh, uh, demographically and behaviorally personalized ad campaigns. I'm quoting the report here appear to have ads being served on made for kids YouTube channels as of July. Moreover, uh, I'm saying these a lot of these ads are being placed on videos from YouTube channels that are actually labeled as made for kids and therefore adult oriented products. These are advertisers. Uh, like Mars, uh, Procter and Gamble, Ford, Colgate, mm-hmm. Palmolive, Samsung, and others like that. And not only not only is there is this a problem for Google and YouTube because again they are they have they have signed an agreement saying they're not going to do this stuff. But it's also they've also gotten these companies in hot water because uh, not, not not that we have to feel bad for them, but when someone when they think an adult that when they're uh, 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 targeting an ad towards an adult. They think that an adult is going to be clicking on this ad, which will take them to like the the the, the campaign page that will try to you know sell them the product. And of course, this server of theirs is going to load up their that that adult's computer with all kinds of trackers and ID tags and stuff like that. Uh, but they think that that's okay because they think that hey, look, this is supposed to only be appearing before adults. The people who are kids are not supposed to be seeing these ads. So when a kid actually clicks on this ads. That means that Procter and Gamble and Ford and Colgate, Palmolive, Samsung—they mm-hmm. are themselves now violating the the, the Copa agreement uh, because, again, they are tracking kids and they're not supposed to be doing that. So, the rather pointedly, they're asking, "Why are YouTube's ad algorithms placing ads that are specifically not for children on content that is absolutely specifically for children?" Um, and then to make things even worse, 
YouTube, it's just, it doesn't appear that like, oh, well, this is just a bug. They didn't do, you know, this, the, 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 whatever. They're using magical AI and it's not correctly identifying, even though there is, again, explicit tag saying this is, this mm-hmm. is kids content. Uh, they discovered this, the company also discovered ad trackers that are, that are not disclosed and hard to find that are attached to all this content for YouTube. Um, I'm quoting here, uh, YouTube appears to create an undisclosed, persistent, immutable, unique identifier called the ex-Goog visitor ID, which gets transmitted to Google servers even when a consumer is watching made-for-kids video content. It is unclear for what purpose Google is collecting this undisclosed identifier. They also found another unique click ID identifier on the YouTube iPhone iOS app, which again, gets shared with the advertiser's website, even if the click comes from the viewer of a made-for-kids video on YouTube. Uh, And this is, again, in violation of their own stated policy as well as COPA. So if all this is true, that means that Google and YouTube are in violation of the 2019 injunction, which remains in effect and leaves them open to more punitive action. But also, what the hell, Google? What the hell, YouTube? Like, is this really such a difficult thing to try to master? Uh, it's uh, they're they're also clearly it is clearly it's a difficult thing to try and and balance children's eyes with what you owe advertisers, what they're paying you to show to show their wares, and it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, really, when you think about it, because mm. you realize that like this whole business model is around letting advertising run rampant like it's very hard to it's it's very hard to keep it contained <laughs> and and speaking of children my child is throwing a huge tantrum upstairs right now oh no uh <laughs> you know which makes me never want to show her an ad ever again yeah <laughs> But yeah, so, so I guess all, all all the more reason for us to wrap this up quickly. But but it's again, this is the second story that we're talking about that makes me wonder if Google, God, should they should should they be under care? Should like we should like they be in like some sort of a supervised living situation? Because again, you could you could sort of like uh, you you could sort of and if the report were saying that oh well, there's a Google has the the ad uh, the ad algorithm has botched things uh, because it tries to detect whether or not this is this is supposed to be uh, children's children's content or not, and it's making the mistake, or they're trusting uh, this piece of reporting that sometimes can be inaccurate. It's like no, they put in they put together an infrastructure that says that anything that's appearing on YouTube Kids, we're going to assume assume this is a child so it means that anything that we've agreed to not do in terms of identifying and tracking and targeting kids we are not going to do and they they own and operate youtube kids <laughs> they own and operate this ad network what is their excuse are we are we supposed to be really really indulgent and say that oh well oopsie well let's let's wait to hear their side of it before we decide if they're just no. being like we don't they, care they we have, don't have no to. excuse if disney jr and nick jr can run this exact same shows that children are watching on youtube kids because they put all that content for free because for those brands, it's more important to have the likeness of the children, you know, seated into them so that they want you to buy the toys when you go to Target, right? <laughs> fine. I'm fine with that kind of marketing. I'm I'm fine with that because I get I get free education out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you watch like Nick Jr. and Disney Jr. during the day, they don't run ads that aren't for the demographic of whatever the show is showing it's like yes there are toy ads 
you know, and I, I would expect to see those on YouTube kids if it was allowing ads. Um, but anything like adult centric, <laughs> you know, political ads, like things like that shouldn't be shown anywhere until like after 3 p.m., in my opinion. Hmm. Well, there are a lot of people who are goofing off at work between 9 and 9.21 a.m. So that's a, that's a very, very lucrative like time slot, I'm sure, for, that it, no, for, that is for actually video watching. Like, <laughs> yes, because you just got into work. You have to start work, but you don't really want to. So you're going to do your last bit of procrastinating before. Right. <laughs> I'm, 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 te- I'm technically dressed, groomed at my desk and logged yeah. into my computer. I have my <laughs> inbox open, but I am just not quite ready to do anything with it. They can't expect me to go from zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. Yeah, I am not exactly. a Tesla in Furioso mode. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> At least, at least let at least let my shoes the leather in my shoes acclimate to the new like dry air conditioned environment. Uh, well, that's gonna wrap it up. Wrap it up for us. Uh, if you are a member of uh, Relay.fm Network, you have more content coming, and we have something mm-hmm. really really fun today that I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, go to uh, Relay.fm/slash/material for information on how you can have help support this podcast and all of Relay FM by becoming a member and get access to special content not just from us but from everybody who does shows on Relay FM. And it is quite a cornucopia, quite a smorgasbord. Uh, and we thank all of our members for uh, for helping us out in that way uh flo is there anything interesting cool what whatnot you want to actually highlight that uh steal people towards this week i think you should just go to flowrights.tech which will take you to my page at gizmodo and you can see what i've been working on i just got out of uh the summer of foldables so i'm kind of just i'm just kind of just floating right now until the <laughs> next big phone launch nice um as as for me if you can spell my last name i-h-n-a-t-k-o go to twitter or instagram or blue sky uh and you can find out what my what what i'm doing instead of writing (laughs) during various points during the day uh you can also uh, check out my weekly bi-weekly whatever uh tech news roundups at uh, boston public radio on wgbh boston boston's npr news station go to wgbhnews.org listen to it live or later we had a rare wednesday Boy, I got so discombobulated because it's always it's always I either Thursday in my too. office or Friday, like in yeah. Boston at the studios. And so when it's Wednesday, I'm like, oh, this is not the schedule. I have to. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like when Christmas is on a Tuesday. It's like mm-hmm. I don't know oh, what day God, of the week it is or what I'm supposed to be doing at any given day. Anyway, go to WGBHnews.org to listen to any of that sort of stuff. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to us this time. We hope, we hope you're going to be listening to us again next time. And until then, everybody, please have a happy, safe, and healthy seven days. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 